ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. Greetings, this is Tom Gilson. ID the Future is pleased to announce in today's episode the release this week of ID pioneer Michael Denton's newest book, The Miracle of Man, The Fine-Tuning of Nature for Human Existence. For centuries, humans have been regarded as a somewhat ordinary species on a completely ordinary planet in a completely unsurprising universe. But Denton, who first began overturning evolutionary Hebrews more than 30 years ago with his book Evolution, A Theory in Crisis, now upends this so-called Copernican principle in this latest book of his. And today, we have the privilege of hearing the author himself introducing this groundbreaking new book. The year 1543 was one of the most fateful in the history of Western civilization. It was not because of a great battle or some dramatic shift in the balance of power. There was no great natural disaster. No new king was crowned. But an event occurred that year, the seismic consequences of which were unimaginable at the time. The event set in motion an intellectual revolution. That revolution would displace man from his central place in the order of the cosmos, a place he had occupied for the previous 2,000 years. From then on, human beings would be regarded by science as accidental byproducts of a cosmos that did not have them in mind. But even as this bleak view became ascendant, new scientific discoveries were being made that would return humans to their special place in the universe. These new discoveries revealed an astonishing truth. Nature is exquisitely fit for beings like ourselves. This is Michael Denton. I'm a biologist and a medical doctor. I've spent my life investigating the wonders of the natural world. In my book, The Miracle of Man, I provide what is to my knowledge the most comprehensive review in print of nature's unique fitness for human biology. I describe a stunning set of ensembles of prior environmental fitness, many clearly written into the laws of nature from the moment of creation, enabling the actualization of key defining attributes of our biology. While my conclusions may be controversial, the evidences upon which my conclusions are based are not in the least controversial. In virtually every case, they are so firmly established in the relevant scientific disciplines as to be now considered wholly uncontroversial conventional wisdom. In other words, the extraordinary ensembles of natural environmental fitness described in my book are thoroughly documented scientific facts. All I have done is to bring them together so you can see not just the individual pieces of the puzzle, but the entire picture. If you, like me, when you see the whole picture, you will be overwhelmed. I invite you to explore the miracle of man. Now for two short excerpts from the body of the book. The first focuses on the human heart, an engineering marvel. After a lightning-fast tour of the genius of the organ, Denton takes things a little deeper, touching on just a few of the many aspects of nature that had to be fine-tuned before our marvelous circulatory systems were even possible. The human heart is vastly superior to any human artifact. Every second, it undergoes a cycle of contraction and expansion, and it beats continually and faithfully for the duration of a human lifetime. It starts beating in the womb, and in 80 years, it will beat about 2 billion times. The cardiac muscle itself 
consists of an interconnected network of billions of muscle cells, specially adapted to resist fatigue and contract autonomously without external activation or control. Within the cardiac muscle cells, there are trillions of tightly packed molecular arrays of contractile filaments whose regular rhythmical lengthening and shortening generate the cardiac cycle. At rest, each of us needs about a fourth of a litre of oxygen per minute to satisfy our energy needs. This involves the movement every minute of 100 trillion oxygen molecules across every square millimetre of the alveolar surface of the lungs. And with every contraction, the heart pumps 100 billion red blood cells through hundreds of kilometres of tiny capillaries. Coursing through the capillaries in the lungs, each of these tiny nanomachines carries one billion molecules of oxygen from the lungs to the tissues, each loosely bound to an iron atom in the haemoglobin. By the heart's unceasing activity, it ensures a bountiful supply of oxygen to provide us with the vital energy of life. Our current understanding of the heart and cardiovascular and respiratory systems took more than four centuries of heroic scientific endeavour. Achieving that knowledge was one of the greatest of scientific achievements. And today, no one doubts that the heart and lungs, the red blood cells, the electron transport chains, and many other components of these systems are paragons of bioengineering, fine-tuned to derive metabolic energy from oxidations in complex organisms like ourselves. But we now know something else, something equally, if not even more remarkable. The adaptive wonder of the circulatory and respiratory systems depends ultimately on a vast suite of diverse elements of prior environmental fitness in nature. Without this prior fitness of nature, all the wondrous adaptive fine-tuning of the heart and circulation would be of no avail. To list and fully describe all the instances of prior fitness would fill many volumes, but let me briefly mention just three. First, without the prior environmental fitness of the radiation emitted by the sun, and without the transparency of the atmosphere to visual light, there would be no photosynthesis, and hence no oxygen, and no oxidations in the body to provide higher organisms like ourselves with the copious amounts of energy we need to satisfy our metabolic needs. Second, without the prior fitness of water and its astonishing array of unique properties to serve as the medium of the circulation, there would be no circulatory system. Finally, without the unique prior fitness of the atoms, of what are known as the transition metals, there would be no way to convert oxidations to metabolic energy. Join me in exploring these and other wonders of nature in my book, The Miracle of Man. In this next excerpt from Denton's book, The Miracle of Man, the author summarizes some of the many things about the human form that had to be just so in order to allow us to master fire and start us on our long and fruitful path of technological development. As any boy scout or girl scout knows, starting a fire by rubbing two sticks together requires considerable manual dexterity and persistence. And as Tom Hanks' character found out in the film Castaway, even with the superb manipulative abilities of the human hand, it is difficult to start a fire using traditional frictional methods, such as rubbing two pieces of wood together. However, with practice, and using various simple devices, such as a fire drill, most humans can master the skills necessary to initiate a fire. No other species on Earth, 
possesses an organ remotely as capable as the human hand for initiating and maintaining a fire, and for intelligent exploration and manipulation of the natural world. One of the earliest and still most fascinating discussions of this adaptive marvel was given by the first century Greek physician Galen. To man, the only animal that partakes in the divine intelligence, the Creator has given in lieu of every other natural weapon or organ of defence, that instrument the hand, applicable to every art and occasion. Galen then proceeds for several pages to detail the genius of the human hand. At one point he declares, Whoever admires not the skill and contrivance of nature must either be deficient in intellect or must have some private motive which withholds him from expressing his admiration. The perfection of the hand was a popular topic among 19th century natural theologians, such as Oxford Professor of Medicine John Kidd, who quoted liberally from Galen. Charles Bell, in his Bridgewater Treatise, also waxed lyrical about the hand, citing another ancient Greek thinker, Anaxagoras, who thought that man's superiority was due to his hand. Only the great apes have something close to the human hand. Yet the hand of the chimp and gorilla, although possessing a partially opposable thumb, is far less adapted to fine motor movement and control than the human hand with its fully opposable thumb. Although some chimps exhibit a remarkable manual dexterity for certain tasks, none can match the manual dexterity of the human hand. And this is obvious on watching chimps at a tea party at the zoo. A dining task we hardly think about proves comically challenging for them due to their limited manual dexterity. The hand's attachment to the end of a highly mobile appendage, about two and a half feet long, the human arm, further contributes to its universal utility and enables the hand to manipulate objects some distance from the body. No small advantage when manipulating fire. Moreover, because of the hand's positioning at the end of the arm, its manipulative activities can be readily observed by our eyes, which are placed forward-facing on the head, so that the activities of the hand can be readily observed. Other primates have arms of sufficient length for manipulating fire, but their arms and hands have another role that handicaps them from the work of adroitly manipulating tools. All the great apes are basically quadrupeds, or more precisely knuckle walkers, as defined by Richard Owen in the 19th century. Our upright bipedal gait and android design frees the human arms and hands from the ambulatory function, allowing them to take on adaptations for delicate activities requiring fine motor control. Among primates, a habitual bipedal posture is only present in humans and in a handful of fossil hominin species. This bipedal posture enabled our arms and hands to acquire their unique manipulative functions, which in turn enabled our ancestors to initiate and control fire and carry out the peripheral activities associated with fire making, such as hewing and collecting wood, as well as the activities associated with the subsequent development of metallurgy, such as mining for ores and building kilns, not to mention the ability to construct a great diversity of tools and instruments, the use of which has been crucial to the development of technology and advances in scientific knowledge. These excerpts that you have just heard barely scratch the surface of the riches Denton explores in his new book, The Miracle of Man. The work has already collected several strong endorsements. 
Design theorists Michael Behe and Jonathan Wells have both praised the book, and the internationally renowned Brazilian chemist Marcos Eberlin had this to say about it. I quote, In this marvelous book, Dr. Denton completes an epic journey through a stunning landscape of scientific discovery to arrive at the grand finale, nature's startling fitness for humankind. The Miracle of Man is a comprehensive and most convicting review of the relevant data, a survey urging any reasonable person to consider that we humans were foreseen, were planned from the beginning. The data has delivered its verdict. Nature is arrestingly fit for man. We are indeed a most privileged species. End of quote. Find more enthusiastic endorsements from distinguished scientists and physicians and get your copy at the book's Amazon page today. The book again is The Miracle of Man by Michael Denton. This has been Tom Gilson for ID the Future. Till next time, thank you for listening. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.